All right, uh, tonight I am going to kind of share from my heart some of the things that I've been thinking through and meditating on and uh, just recently and kind of develop some of the ideas that I had this morning. Needless to say, um, so this is going to be a, a little bit different and I'm still kind of putting it all together and, and, and thinking through it in my mind. Um, so what I want you to do is I want you to kind of try to think of passages yourself that apply to what I'm talking about so that at the end, depending... <laughs> That's fine. At the end, depending on time, um, you know, I'll probably finish early because I uh, didn't get to time this. So maybe you can mention some passages that apply to the same concept um, as we're going along. Um, I want to talk to you tonight about gospel-focused obedience. Gospel-focused obedience as opposed to uh, self-righteous obedience. Is obedience for the purpose of exalting yourself obedience or sin? From what I can tell from my understanding of Scripture, I'm almost, I am convinced that it's actually sin and an abomination to God. If we obey for the purpose of our own self-exaltation, we have missed the whole point. So, in light of that, how many times have you ever done something and said, before you did it, you said, well, I just need to do this. I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Do you realize that a lot of times when we do that, we're doing it just because we have to do it, and so therefore we're doing it to exalt ourselves? Do you understand? Do you realize what that might mean is, is that a lot of our obedience has the purpose of exalting ourselves? I don't think this is gospel-focused obedience. Yet I think that the Bible is very clear that what God requires is gospel-centered obedience, joyful obeying. How do we do it? Well, I believe that God intentionally saved us for us to do that and empowers us to do it and to do it with joy. Turn over to 1 Peter and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Gospel-centered obedience is obedience that does it motivated by the glory and honor of Christ. Our understanding of Jesus, what he's done, who he is, what he's done for us and what he's able to accomplish must be the main motivation behind what we do. If you look at 1 Peter, Peter does this in his letter and lays it out, and we're going to read a good portion of Peter's letter for a purpose. What you're going to see is, is that Peter, every time he gives them a command, before he tells the command and after he tells the command, he talks about the gospel. And it's as if he's saying, wait now, I want you to understand. I'm going to talk to you about who Jesus is and what he's done, and then I'm going to tell you what to do. And then after I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to remind you, this is who Jesus is and what he's done. And he does it throughout the book. And I want you to think through the epistles in your mind. 
Many of you have studied these Colossians and Hebrews and um, all these books of the Bible. I want you to think about how often in those letters that the gospel is nailed to the commands. That a right understanding of Christ is almost always coupled with a, a, a clear understanding of the gospel. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Look at, ver, at chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, in order that, or to, obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So from the very beginning, he begins to talk about this gospel concept. You're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. All of us that have studied these sections understand that this is talking about God's predestination and his forelove of us, our proper understanding of that God chose us before the foundation of the world and that the Spirit is working in us. And the whole purpose that the Spirit is working in us is what? So that we will obey the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So the gospel is framed about why we do what we do. We obey Jesus because the work of the Spirit and because God has chose us and all of these things are true. Do you understand? And then starting in verse 3 all the way down through verse 12, he describes the gospel and goes over salvation over and over. And look at it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his grace and mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on and on and on and talking about God saving us. And then he kind of develops it even more and he said down in verse 10, As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within him was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It, is revealed, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which, into which angels long to look. So what's he doing? Okay, look. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. Get it? You understand? Christ, this salvation, it's great. It's amazing what God has done. Even the angels go, wow. The angels go, this salvation is amazing. This gospel, this glorious Christ has come to save you. Then what does he do? Verse 13. Therefore, and now he starts giving you commands. Prepare your mind for action. Keep sober for, in spirit. Fix your hope completely in the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient parents, do not be conformed to the former lust which you were, were in your ignorance. Because that's not who you are anymore. But like the Holy One who called you. Called. Same concept of being saved. It's even intertwined here. You be holy yourselves. Also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, what's he do? He tells you, okay, now be set apart. Be different. Be set apart from sin. But what is the command? What's the basis of all that he says? 
have your mind in the right location. That's what he starts in verse 13. And it starts with therefore, in light of the fact that you are saved, in light of the fact you're in a right relationship with God, in light of the fact you're in union with Christ, keeping all these things in mind, do something. But we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't think that way, do we? When we go tell people, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Or you should be doing that. Or we think, why aren't they doing that? We're listing out all these do's and don'ts. And don't do this and don't do this. But the premise is not like the Apostle Peter talking to these good these Christians. He's saying, look, think gospel-centered. Now I'm going to tell you to do something. Can you imagine what our parenting would be? If we would teach with the idea that the gospel was the primary focus. And then we got to the commands. But we don't think that way. We think do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts. But all the way through, Peter is doing this over and over and over. Okay, be holy, for I am holy. What does that imply? You know that he's holy. You know that he is your God. He is the Holy One. By the way, it says in verse 14, as obedient children. This is children characterized by obedience. How can we be characterized by obedience, children characterized by obedience, unless we know that we are His child? We have to have a proper understanding of our our relationship with God to be the foundation of our obedience. All of our obedience must flow from a right understanding of our relationship with God. If not, we become a legalist. Listen, what is the thing that's going to keep our single people pure? What is it going to be? Is it going to be Pastor Mike walking up here telling them, listen, be pure. Be pu- Don't wear those clothes. Huh? Nope. you got to have ladies, if you wear dresses, they got to be all the way down to the ankles. Is that going to keep them pure? No. What's going to keep them pure is when they see the glory of Christ and what he's done and their union relationship with him, they won't want to be impure. They will want to be holy for their God. I want to be a child characterized by obedience because I know he's holy. We've got to get this through our minds. I've got to get through this on my mind too. I'm so prone to slide back into I didn't do that no I didn't do that man do you see that person in my mind oh I can't believe they did that y'all don't do that do you am I the only one gospel centered thinking look he keeps it up he does the same thing look at verse 17 he just keeps doing this over and over If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's works, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Why? Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold 
from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as from a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for your sake, who, though through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for the sincere love of the brethren, now here's your command, fervently love one another from the heart. Again, he just gave you four or five verses of doctrine again. Before he gave you another command, fervently love one another. Do you see? I'm convinced doctrine and a right understanding of salvation of Christ and our pursuit of him and knowing what he's done. Meditating on the truths of verses 16 to 21 is the only way fervently loving one another will ever happen in a church. True love does not come naturally to us. True love only comes as we trust and enjoy and delight in the love of the Savior that loved us. Once I meditate on that, once I think on that, when I'm attentions on that, then loving you is not hard. It's natural. But it's funny. When somebody treats us bad, what do we think? They, man, why aren't they loving me? You know the answer. You now know the answer. When somebody doesn't love you, why? what's the answer? They aren't enjoying Christ. They aren't delighting in the gospel. They're not delighting in the love of the Savior. So what's your answer for them? You need to love me more. That's what we do. That's what we say. Why aren't you loving me? You missed it. Think about this for a second. You say, why aren't you loving me like Christ loves the church, husband? You say that. You know the answer. Because they're not meditating and enjoying the delighting and the love of Christ in their life. So what do we do? We say, start loving me. No. Because all you're going to do is what? Make a Pharisee. What do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it. Okay, I'm going to love you now. Got it. Going to do it. Check. Missed the point. What is going to motivate us to surely love one another from the heart? The gospel. Our understanding of Christ. And as we love him, we will do it. As we enjoy him, as we know him. Does that make sense? It's over and over. It's all the way through the Bible. All I want, I want to challenge you as you're reading this week and thinking on this. See how it applies to every passage. It's funny when God tells even the Israelites what to do. He prefaces it most of the time with... I am the God who took you out of Egypt. I am with you. What is his point? I am your deliverer. I am with you. I love you. Now do it. 
but we don't think that way. We think, oh, I just gave me another command, another burden. Oh, I can't live up to that. Do y'all see this, folks? He keeps going on and on. Look, look, keep going. Look, 23 to 2, 3. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. In other words, this is the word, the gospel that was preached to you, and therefore you are saved because of this great and glorious truth, right? Therefore, put in away all the malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envies and all slander. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. There's the command. The command doesn't come until he's already got their attention on the realities that they have and they've enjoyed. Why are you alive because of the gospel? Why are you alive because the word of the Lord is good? Why are you alive because you... Verse 3, you didn't get enough of it. Here, let me tell you why again to long for the word. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you are delighting in him and you know him and you're enjoying him, therefore long for it. Isn't that wild? Y'all see this? He keeps doing it. Look at verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but it's choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. This is talking about Jesus. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. This is talking about Jesus, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe but for those who disbelieved the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to the doom they are appointed. But verse 9, but you are a different people. You're different. You're new. A chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The whole reason why you're a different person and because of the glory of the precious stone. Why? So you can proclaim him? He's still talking gospel all the way down through verse 10. For you... Once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Gospel, 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 gospel. Okay, now it's time for a command. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you to, as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things which they slander you as an evildoer, you may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay? What's his point? He did it again, didn't he? Think on the glories of salvation. Think on the glories of Christ. Think on who you are now. Your union, that you are a chosen people. Think about these glorious truths of the gospel. Now live it. 
Isn't that cool? But what we do is we, mem- we memorize those verses. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. We forget Ephesians chapters 1 through 5. Describe what it means to be in the Lord. And therefore now, obey your children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Let me explain what that little phrase means. Let me explain what in the Lord means so that you'll obey with the right motives, not just to get mommy and daddy's approval. You'll obey because you know the glory of the Lord and that you're in union with him. Does this make sense, everybody? Are y'all getting me? Or am I beating? Y'all have already heard this stuff before. Any questions? I'm okay with questions tonight. No questions. Okay. Just preaching. Verse 13. He does it again. Submit yourself to the Lord. Oh, there's a command. Lord's sake to every human institution. But again, he's already developed the, the de- he's already developed, right, the gospel. And he says, submit yourself to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Then he goes on and says, honor all people, verse 17. Love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience... Conscience towards God, a person bears up under the sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it with patience, patiently enduring it, this finds favor with God. Okay, now at about this time, when you're reading along, if you're reading the scriptures here, I'm starting to go, man, it's getting heavy. Now I want you to think about this. It's getting heavy again i got to submit to governing authorities. And if I'm a slave and they mistreat me, i got to still submit to them. Starting to get heavy, right? And this burden, whew, burden's starting to get there a little bit. You might be starting to think, man, that's hard, right? You know what he does? Let me encourage you. Stop, stop, stop thinking that it's a burden because it's not. Because look. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. In other words, look, you're starting, you're looking at yourself. You're looking, oh, this is hard. I can't believe this. Stop, 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 stop. Look to Jesus. Get your eyes back on Christ. You get your eyes on Christ, what he's done. I can handle that. That's all he's doing. That's what he does. And he's doing this to believers, which implies what? We need the gospel all the time. We need to be reminded of it so much so that our motives will be right, so that we won't fall back into working to achieve righteousness so that people will like us or doing it because I have to do it. Instead of doing it because I want to do it. Isn't this a wonderful letter? Isn't this a glorious truth, the way that he sets this up? I don't know about you, but because he automatically brings the gospel back up right after telling him what to do, 
After he had already told them this precious stone, he had already given the gospel from 3 through 12 in chapter 1. He had already explained the salvation. That's enough, isn't it? Isn't it enough to hear the gospel one time in 12 verses? He could just give us a whole bunch of commands, right? No, it's like, no. This is going to be hard. I know there's some hard commands, but you need the gospel. And you need to be reminded of it. And you need to be reminded of it again. And you need to be reminded of it in another way. And look at this aspect of the gospel. Pull out the diamond of the gospel and look at it every five minutes. Turn it around. Observe the glories of Christ and what he's done. And then you will obey. That's what he's doing. And Paul does it. And Hebrews does it. The book of Hebrews, I was going through it this morning just thinking, oh, it's so glorious. It's an amazing book. You know, you got people that are thinking about falling away and, and considering going back to Judaism. What does, what does the author of Hebrews does? He just paints this amazing picture of Jesus. And he does it, and then he compares him to angels and says he's better than them. And he compares him to the law and he's better than them. He says, look at Jesus. And it's like every chapter, he just takes Jesus and he goes, let me tell you about Jesus. And then he says, what in the world would you go back to that? Look at Jesus. Why would you go back to that? Look at Jesus. Don't go back there. That's what we've got to do. I want to learn how to do this. I want to learn how to talk to you with the gospel on my lips all the time. That's what I want. I want to be able to tell you, look, this is where your joy is found in obeying. But do it because Christ loves you. Meditate on all that he has done for you. And then to do it makes sense. I want to do it. Anybody have any questions now? Good stuff. Anybody can think of any other passages? I've got a thousand. I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah, through the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Go ahead. I got a feeling. Right. Yeah. 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 I think you start with the conscience. I think there are a sense where you're going to say to your kids, look, you, you know your conscience says not to do this. God's given you a conscience. And he says, don't do this. And look, there'll have to be a consequence because there's a conscience. But I'm going to try to get with my kids that haven't professed Christ. And I'm going to say, look, you can't do this. You can't do this. You need Christ. I want to tell you that when you disobeyed, bigger than disobeying against me, you disobeyed God. But God loves you. And God loves us. And he sent his son to die for us. And I would go to the gospel. So that at the point where they, when the spirit is working in them, they're going to say, yeah, I sinned against God. And we don't know when that moment will be that they will finally crack. 
and they'll crack under the weight of the glory of Christ. And characterized by obedience. That's your bent, your nature. That's exactly right. And then we say, but God has provided a salvation in Christ. And let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about the one. Because look, you're talking to the chief of sinners. You know, you're talking to the chief of sinners. But Christ came and died and delivered me from that. And I get to enjoy Christ and obey him now. Yeah, I I think, I, I wish. You know the problem is with that kind of parenting? Is it takes more time. It takes a lot more time. Which is a good thing. But that kind of parenting takes real effort and genuine concern for people and your kids, not just a quick fix. I'll tell you what, giving the gospel to your kids when they disobey takes much longer than taking them to the bathroom and spanking them real quick and getting it over with. It does. Because you have to sit there and talk to somebody that is completely blind to the truth. And as you start talking to them, they're like, or looking around, are you preaching to me again and checking out? It takes a lot more work to do that kind of parenting than it does the parenting that just spanks them and says, okay, let's deal with the contents. But I, I said this, uh, I think it was Grace on Campus. My biggest fear, no, it was Wednesday night. My biggest fear is raising a Pharisee. That is my biggest fear. I don't want to raise children that are going to clean up the outside of the cup. Somebody was telling me, what was it? Who was the one? One of you told me about the illustration um, that Paul Tripp had um, of the, the, the tree, the apple tree. This is what we do. And it's so true. Huh? Adam was today. Yeah, it's so true. He's telling me about this illustration. What we do is it's like you have this apple tree that grows really pitiful, ugly, dried-up apples. Okay, So you go to the apple tree, say, you know what? I figured out. I'm going to have good apples on my tree. I'm going to have good apples. So he goes to the market, buys a bunch of apples. Good, clean, nice apples. Goes to the apple tree, pulls out an apple, staples it to the tree. It puts apples all over the tree. Man, look at my tree. It's nice. Got nice apples. No, you didn't change the tree. You just cleaned up the outside. I don't want to do that with my kids. The only way you're not going to do that with your kids is if the gospel is the motivation for their obedience. And they're only going to do that is if the gospel's on your tongue all the time. And by the way, you could just be that apple tree too if you're not careful. If all we do is make it our mission to keep and obey those commands without a heart that really loves Christ and enjoys him. Pursue Christ. Don't pursue being a holy person. I'm convinced. Pursue Christ and you will be holy. (laughs) Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
And I don't think that means that I'm seeking it so that I can elevate myself. I'm seeking to know him and his righteousness. And therefore, I will produce righteousness. Good stuff. All right, look over. Titus. Paul does it in Titus. I mean, you can see this in Ephesians. You see this in Romans. You see this in Philippians 2. Oh, Philippians 2 is an awesome one. Uh, Philippians 2, he says, if there is any... If there is any, if there is any this, he's talking about the glory of the gospel and what we have in Christ. Then he says, do this. And then what's he do? He turns around and says, have the same attitude which Christ had in himself. Gospel. Both, all the commands are centered around the gospel. Look over at Titus, though. This is a neat, path, uh, neat book. I was looking through it earlier. In Titus, you, you know, in chapter 1 you have the you have the uh, the um, qualifications for the elders and stuff. But then in chapter 2, he gives the duties. And and you could mark these with exclamation points. That's how I did my Bible. Is. Every time there's a command, I start putting an exclamation point. You know, exclamation point. To say it's a command, it's a command, it's a command. Okay? So he lays out a bunch of commands here. He says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for do- sound doctrine. Well, that implies what? You know sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourselves to be good examples of good deeds with purity and sound doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not, uh, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Now, at this point, I don't know about you guys, but you stop and you meditate on what that is, find out which one of these people applies to you, and ask yourself, is that what I look like all the time? <laughs> is that what my life looks like all the time? Okay, are you convicted now? Yeah. Okay, so where's our hope? Gospel, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness. The gospel salvation instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Our salvation, our union with Christ in knowing Him Instructs us to do these. Looking for the blessed hope. In other words, we have an eternal perspective thinking of heaven and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. We're looking for Christ. We can't wait to see Him. So again, commands are given, right? But motive and what drives us to obey them and to do those things is this. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds. Gospel, 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 gospel. Is the foundation of all of our obedience. 
It's everywhere you look. He does it again in chapter 3. He gives a command. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceful, peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Verse 3, for we also once were foolish ourselves. In other words, this is who we were. But with, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What did he do from chapter 3 verse 3 down through verse 7. He gave you the gospel again. Did the same thing. This is who you were. But now you've been saved. You're right with God. He's put his spirit in you. You're justified. You're an heir. After the commands in 1 and 2. Over and over and over. Romans chapter 12 comes after Romans 1 through 11. 1 through 11 is all about what? The gospel. No election. Yeah, that's part of the gospel, by the way. All those things, everything you know in 1 through 11, present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice to God. Right thinking leads to obedience. Right thinking. Right understanding of our union in Christ. Right enjoyment and delight in our Savior. Leads to obedience. That's it. Don't clean up the outside of the cup. Delight in Jesus today. And you will obey.